for joining us for another informative, educational, and entertaining edition of Music and Medicine with Dr. Charles Modlin, kidney transplant surgeon, board-certified urologist, public speaker, and well-known community national leader for the elimination of health disparities, dedicated to informing you, the listening audience, about important health topics and health information that you, your family, and your community need to know while at the same time providing you with quality entertainment because music and entertainment is medicine. Dr. Marlin's co-hosts are Jerome Brown and registered nurse Jonathan Branch. And the program often includes special content expert guests. So, without further ado, here is the host of the show, Dr. Charles Marlin. Hey, I'd like to welcome the audience to the show. Thank you for tuning in for another very informative uh, episode of Music and Medicine. Uh, tonight's show is going to be jam-packed and, and very informative, but also very important, uh, critically important. We're going to be talking about women's health. Uh, we're going to be talking about our upcoming, our inaugural Metro Health Health Fair and Empowerment Expo. Uh, which we're conducting on Saturday, September the 30th, in partnership with the Vernon Family Foundation. It's going to take place, and again, this is a free event, health examinations, health screenings, um, uh, exposition, um, breakout sessions. It's, this is going to happen Saturday, September the 30th at the Huntington Cleveland Convention Center. That's in downtown Cleveland. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. You can show up on the day of the event or you can pre-register. There's the information uh, thank you, uh, Russell, uh, our producer, for putting that information up there. Uh, you can pre-register by going to that website there, or you can just Google Multicultural Women's Health Fair and Expo. Um, that'll come up, or you can just show up on the day of the event. We'll register you on site. Uh, the reason why we're conducting this event is um, much uh, the same reason why over the years we've conducted the Minority Men's Health Fair uh, to address health disparities and men of color. Likewise, women also, women of color also suffer disproportionately uh, from a number of uh, serious health conditions, chronic health conditions that actually ultimately uh, uh, culminate in a lower life expectancy compared to their white female counterparts. And, and so that's why it's incumbent upon us as a healthcare institution, a medical institution, to provide opportunities to for women of color, again, this is actually open to every woman, men are invited as well. But again, our, our target population is women of color who have a higher incidence of these health disparities. We're gonna talk about that uh, with one of our very special guests, which I'm gonna introduce uh, shortly. But some of the examples are higher rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, um, heart disease, stroke, and, and a number of other conditions. Uh, but before I get started, I want to remind everybody, uh, school is now back in session for many schools or soon to be back in session uh, for many schools, high schools, middle schools, grade schools, colleges. Um, and I remind everybody that I, I wrote a book specifically. And again, I, I agree, they should have put a better looking guy on the cover, um, but but you're, you're stuck with this guy on the cover. It, it's called, the book is called, It Isn't Difficult to Do It If You Know How to Do It. And I wrote this book specifically to give guidance, um, success tips, guidance, and, and success navigation 
to any young person or anybody of any age who aspires to achieve success in life. And again, it, it's not just limited to individuals going to college or pursuing a college or high school education. This book is replete with information um, that I wish I had known when I was younger, uh, just starting out on my journey to become a kidney transplant surgeon and urologist. Um, I recently did a national TV interview um, uh, specifically to highlight the book and and in preparation um, for that interview, I, I read the book from cover to cover, which I actually wrote from cover to cover. Um, and I wanted to highlight some very important salient points that I thought I wanted to bring out uh, during the interview. And I, I wound up highlighting practically the whole book. And, and I, I say that to point out that, again, I encourage, uh, th this is a book that I, I poured my heart and soul into. And again, I, I it's a resource for students, parents, uh, counselors, advisors, mentors, coaches. It's a very valuable resource, again, uh, replete with information I wish I would have known uh, decades before. It would have made my my, my pathway to becoming a, a physician um, or just getting through college and, and, and medical school and beyond, it would have made my pathway a lot easier. The other thing, I, I just wanted to show uh, the audience, and I've done this uh, before, um, you, you all know that I'm a, a surgeon, physician, urologist, but in my spare time, I also grow tomatoes. Um, had a pretty good crop this season. Uh, these are some examples of some of the tomatoes that I that I grew this summer. I, I give credit to my mother. My mother taught me how to uh, garden when I was six years old. I haven't always been able to pursue that, you know, being busy, but uh, in the past several years, I've um, rekindled that passion towards gardening. So something that I, I love to do. You know, we always talk about it's important to reduce stress, to have a hobby, um, to take your mind off of some of the stressors of daily living and, and you know, gardening and listening to music is, is are examples of hobbies that I enjoy doing. So, but as I said, we, we have a very uh, uh, important program and uh, Jerome Brown, my co-host could not be with me uh, this evening for the program. So we have a very special co-host um, Alex Boone, um, who really needs no introduction. Um, but as a way of just, and it doesn't, this is not going to do her justice, but as a way to introduce her, I want to show a, a brief video clip that uh, Alexandria Boone uh, recently uh, conducted. So, um, Russell, if you can uh, play that video, uh, we'd appreciate it. Then we'd like to bring Alexandria Boone on after the video plays. Sure to be able to sit and talk to a local legend, Alexandra Boone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here, Wayne. Really Thank you. I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. All right, we want to talk about you for a No, no, no. All right, we're going to talk about <laughs> you. So I want to ask a question that it's kind of, kind of opens up everything. And okay. that question is, who is Alexandra Boone? Oh, dear. Oh, my God. Well, I tell people all the time that I'm one person from nine to five, and then I'm another person from five to nine the next morning. All right, talk about that. Okay, because we have to serve in so many different roles if we want to be successful in the industry where we are currently working. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. I am um, really, my dad and my mom thought I was going to be a teacher. Because, you know, at the time when I was born a few years ago, it was all about every, women were nurses or teachers. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to do neither, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I decided that because 
I always wanted to be in communications. I knew yes. that because I'm a talker and I'm a people person. So let's talk about the, the okay. Gap Communications Group. Okay. Been around for a long time. Long you, time. Uh, were you the first African-American woman to have a PR firm in this city? I was not. I was actually number three. Really? Okay. But I had the uh, pleasure of, you know, elevating our game. <laughs> and uh, so we were the, probably the most recognized in the market. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of national clients. So that was a big help. But I knew early on that I wanted to be in the communications business because I wanted to impact how people of color saw themselves and how others saw us. Mm -hmm. Well, talk about some of the individuals and some of the businesses you've worked with. Oh my, well, probably the longest relationship I've had has been with Cleveland Clinic. Mm -hmm. I've produced events for them for about 30 years. Mm -hmm. And then of course I represented LeBron James for a couple of years mm -hmm. and George Frazier is still mm -hmm. my client. Still your client. And, yeah. and that's our relationship spans about 50 years mm -hmm. and we're still producing his um, FraserNet Power Networking Conference. Mm -hmm. So, What's the key to success as far as you're concerned? Oh wow, it's pretty simple. Showing up and showing up prepared. If you have a client or a situation <coughs> and you can resolve people's concerns or issues and you do it on time and do it correctly where they walk away satisfied, that's the end of it. Because mm -hmm. we don't do advertising, Wayne. My business comes to us by word of mouth. People okay. say, well, Cleveland Clinic said you do great events for them. Yeah. Can you help us? Or we saw something that you've done, a TV commercial or something, and then they ask us if we can help. And, and we try to do that. How have you been able to grow over the years and, and just sustain over the years? <clears throat> well, it's all about being relevant. You know, when COVID-19 came, it was devastating to our, uh, the world, okay? But we were able to retool pretty quickly. You know, mm -hmm. we did lots of events and I was like, okay, uh, public events aren't happening anyway mm -hmm. uh, right now, so what, why don't I get uh, upgrade my Zoom account? I just wish I had purchased stock in Zoom, <laughs> no, that's okay? Right. But yeah. we upgraded our account and we decided we can still do our events, they just have to be virtual. Yeah. So we were yeah. awake, some yeah. people were not, and people waited to see what was gonna happen, uh-uh. Yeah. I mean, we need to retool right now so yeah. we can stay relevant and tell our clients not to worry. Yeah. The events that we have on the books for you for this year can still happen, it'll just be in a virtual format. I know we've worked with you over the years. I've worked with you over the years. You've employed me to do certain things. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I remember about you and your company is the personal touch. Is that still relevant yeah, for you? I mean, really? Well, and that's all I know. I mean, people, when they sign on with Gap Communications, uh, they may work with one of my senior staff, but at the end of the day, they're going to see me all the time because they're going to know that they're getting personal attention. You know, when we shop at the store, if somebody knows our name, that makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. So we're all about the personal tests, all about that. What are you most proud of? Oh, wow. When well, it comes I, to your business. Okay. And we'll talk <laughs> about the other part later. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, I think that... Uh, the fact that I have an amazing team, mm -hmm. that even when I had a... a How big is it now? It's five people. Okay, okay. And, uh, but it's five people who work like 15 people. I got you, yeah. And uh, yeah. when I had a, a major health challenge, they stepped up. They and stepped they started up. to take care of me, but yes. they also took care of the business. Yes, yes. So, you know, a friend of mine, Lonnie Ransall, who used to work for Frito-Lay, 
said, Alex, your people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. All right, nice. And that guides my, my business and my relationship with my team. Excellent, excellent, Because you're excellent. only as good as the folks that are making you look good. That is so true, <laughs> so very true. Now, you are also the uh, chairwoman and founder of Women of Color. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, the Women of Color Foundation is my passion. Gap Communications Group is how I earn my living. Women of Color Foundation is how I hope I'm earning my wings mm. because um, we're going to be 20 years old next year. So we're planning a major event uh, in 2022, October 23rd through 26th at the uh, resort in Warren, Ohio. It's about an hour between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I heard, I heard, I've heard of the place. I've oh, it's, it's a very fabulous. Nice. Yes, okay, yes, so yes. we're going to... Uh, buy the place out and we're going to have people it's going to be a national conference bring in we, speakers and stuff. right everything but we still want to do it in cleveland so we okay. thought if we can stay within an hour radius from cleveland then it still feels like home what's the purpose of the organization well we i've always felt like women of color especially african americans because that was my original focus when i founded the organization that african american women we have different challenges than other women because you know we have to compete with African-American males, mm -hmm. white males, mm -hmm. and white women, mm -hmm. and other women of mm -hmm. color, because white is a color for me. Mm -hmm. But I felt like um, I wanted to start a, a training uh, program for people that look like me. A training program. A training program. Okay. So we have the uh, personal and professional development retreat annually, okay. and then we also have our C-Suite Executive Women's Summit. Okay. And, um, but fortunately, one of my girlfriends, a white female, mm -hmm. Um, National City Foundation wrote the first $10,000 check so wow. I could do it. Wow. And here we are 20 years later. Wow. Yeah. Quite, quite remarkable lady. And that only um, touches the surface of everything that she's been involved with uh, in the Cleveland area and beyond. But I wanted just to, um, before we bring her on, I just I'll just add She's a graduate of the Cleveland Public Schools, holds a master's degree from the Weatherhead School of Management of Case Western Reserve University. She has two uh, certificates um, from Dartmouth uh, Business College, and she was a 1997 National Fellow at the Boston University School of Public Health uh, Joined Together program. So without uh, uh, further ado, I'd like to bring on Alexandria Boone um, to the, to the uh, broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so yeah, you didn't know we were going to show that video. So I did not. <laughs> I was like, "Who is that woman?" <laughs> but you were you were talking about the big national conference that that actually has occurred, and and I was one of the speakers. Right. And thank you for having me uh, be part of that. Oh, it, it was our pleasure to have you because you brought so much knowledge and information. And if you recall how we connected, was I was doing the conference at the Firestone Country Club, and you called me and said you know, I'd like to talk to you about speaking at your conference. And I was kind of like, well, I don't usually have men. And you said, but women of color need to know how to take care of their men of color. And you and I have been joined together ever since. And so I, I'm so happy whenever you say yes, when I invite you to speak, because you bring so much knowledge and information. Oh, thank you. I mean, and I always will. Um, one other thing, one of the greatest awards and recognitions I've received during my lifetime um, was the Black Professional of the Year in, in 2015. You preceded me. And what year I, did you receive that, that recognition? I received the award in 1994. Okay. And I'm going to tell my age and how much older <laughs> I than you are. But yeah, 
it was a, an amazing evening. So I know that you, I was at your event, so I know how much you enjoyed it. And people just don't understand what that award means. I mean, it's the highest award that uh, an African-American living in Greater Cleveland can receive. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it. I don't I don't know how I got it. They could have chosen a thousand <laughs> other people. So I, I still don't haven't figured out how I, I received that award. But, you know, one reason I thought it was important to have you on the broadcast, especially um, at this time. And we're going to have you back uh, again. Hopefully, you know, you'll agree to come back um, Absolutely. You know, we, we had this upcoming women's event, um, September the 30th, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. and you are a major influencer um, in Northeast Ohio, the city of Cleveland and beyond. And you have agreed to actually help endorse um, the fact that we're doing this to to support our efforts to address health disparities, health inequities uh, that we predominantly see in, in women of color. And, you know, your endorsement is very powerful, very important. Um, because when you put your name and face behind something, people stand up and listen. I can't say that for myself necessarily, but um, but you are a major force. And, and you've again, you've been in Cleveland for a number of years. Um, and you've, you've been an innovator in this space. You've actually um, conducted events to improve uh, awareness of, of women's health needs and, and so, um, you know, I'd like to thank you for that, um, for being a part of this and, and helping endorse um, and validate what we're doing. Um, because, you know, as a healthcare institution, right. as physicians, we, we can't do this in a silo. We need uh, community support. We need influencers such as yourself uh, to encourage the women. I mean, l listen, I mean, a lot of these health conditions exist um, in, in women also. I talk about men all the time, but exist uh, in women who have no signs or symptoms or pain or discomfort. And, you know, the, the message is the same that we've spoken to about the men. Um, you got to get checked. You got to establish care with a primary care provider. All women also uh, need to establish care with an OBGYN as well. Very, very important. Very important. Now, Dr. Modlin, I have to tell you a story about my own health issues. Let me just start by saying I've always been interested in women's health, most of them. And then, unfortunately, on May 19th of 1920, I had a stroke. Hmm. Unexpectedly out of town, just so happens that I was in, um, in Florida, in Naples, Florida, and they have a world-class stroke hospital. And I've worked with a lot of different hospital systems, um, Metro Health, Cleveland Clinic, Bon Secours, Kaiser Permanente, because anybody that asked me to do it around women's health, I say yes. Because at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples, Florida, when I had my stroke, divine infant occurred, and Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice, who is the dean of Morehouse Medical School, was sitting behind, and they said that she said, get her, she's having a stroke. And they got me to the hospital, got me to a stroke hospital, in a stroke ambulance, and I was in intensive care uh, in 40, 42 minutes. And if that had not occurred, um, I probably would not be having this conversation with you. You guys would be talking about me in absentia. And uh, so there's nothing more exciting for me to get involved with, to support, to work with the team other than women's health, period, that. I mean, so often, we're so busy being caregivers 
or our families and our friends that we forget to take care of ourselves. And so many African-American women are dying from stress, uh, heart attacks, uh, breast cancer, strokes. You know, strokes is really, strokes, um, strokes really affect our entire community, not just black women, but black people. And, you know, it's been a history of bad diets and not taking care of ourselves, but that era is over. Anything that I can possibly do to bring people's attention to anything around minority women or multicultural women's health, I am bound to do it just because I've been affected and impacted myself on a deep, deep level. And, and we're thankful for your testimony and, and your work in this space. And, and we're, thank you, we're, we're thankful that you were in a place where you could get that uh, immediate attention that you needed and that there was somebody there who recognized the, the early signs of a stroke. Um, yes. There's the mnemonic FAST, um, F-A-S-T, um, that right. kind of describes what are some of the early signs and symptoms, facial droop arm weakness, slurred speech is the S, and then the T is time. You pick up the phone, call 911 and, and right. get help. Um, so yeah, we, we thank you for that. Um, I wanted to, we actually have a very special um, medical expert um, this evening. She um, is a um, gynecological oncologist at the Metro Health Medical Center. And her name is Dr. Kimberly Resnick. It's funny, um, I actually had, had known her father for about 20, 25 years before I, I met Dr. Resnick. Uh, he was my dentist. He's now retired. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but we laugh about that a lot of times. But, but um, before we bring Dr. Resnick on, I wanted to show a quick video um, introduction. Again, Dr. Resnick, I don't believe uh, knows we're going to show this, uh, but hopefully. Uh, Russell, do we, have that, do we have that video of Dr. Resnick? My name is Dr. Kimberly Resnick, and I am a gynecologic oncologist at Metro Health Medical Center. A gynecologic oncologist is a doctor that has many years of special training in treating cancers of the female genital tract. We are highly trained physicians who serve as surgeons and doctors who prescribe chemotherapy. We treat cancers arising in the uterus, vagina, cervix, and ovaries. Today, I want to talk about cancers arising in the lining of the uterus. This is the most common cancer of the female genital tract. Approximately 45,000 women a year are diagnosed with endometrial cancer or cancer of the lining of the uterus. The good news is that most women can be cured with surgery. But how will you know if you have cancer of the endometrium? Who is at risk for developing this cancer? Menopause is the time of a woman's life when she stops menstruating for at least 12 months. The average age of menopause is 51, but can be affected by family history, smoking, and body weight. The most common symptom of endometrial cancer that a woman will have is postmenopausal bleeding or spotting. Bleeding or spotting in menopause should never be ignored and should always be worked up by a doctor. Mother nature is perfect. I assure you, you will never start your period again after you have gone through menopause. Women with certain health problems or family histories may find themselves at higher risk for endometrial cancer. Diabetes, obesity, and a history of breast cancer with tamoxifen use may raise your risk of endometrial cancer. 
a family history of colon cancer and endometrial cancer may indicate that you are at higher risk for endometrial cancer. Your doctor will want you to undergo an endometrial biopsy and a pelvic ultrasound. Once you have the diagnosis, you will see me. You and I will have a lengthy discussion about my recommendations. These days, many women can undergo a minimally invasive hysterectomy with only three tiny incisions on their abdomen and a one-night stay in the hospital. In fact, this is the most common surgery I perform here at Metro Health. By post-operative day three, most of my ladies do not need any pain medication and are getting back to their regular routines. Please do not ignore bleeding or spotting in menopause. Call your primary care doctor or gynecologist. To learn more, visit metrohealth.org. Dr. Modlin, you're on mute. Dr. Modlin, you're on mute. So, so it's it's easier to do surgery than to uh, run this uh, <laughs> this uh, computer equipment. So thank you. So uh, before we bring Dr. Resnick onto the pro the uh, platform, I just wanted to read a quick profile that was written about Dr. Resnick, um, and it goes like this: The relationship Kimberly Resnick, MD, develops with her patients goes well beyond the operating room. Yes, she's a cancer surgeon, but in her gynecological oncology practice, she often becomes the, quote, everything doctor for the women she serves. She says, she was quoted as saying, I'm here to walk this entire journey with them. I'm here to listen to them. Um, I'm here to be the real person for them. They appreciate that more than anything. So uh, with that, I'd like to rec um, bring Dr. Resnick, uh, Dr. Kimberly Resnick, uh, MD, to the platform and and. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Resnick, for, for being with us uh, this evening Hi. on Music and Medicine. Thank you. Thank you. So, I didn't, didn't know I was going to be watching that video. I've actually <laughs> never seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you need to blast that out there because a lot of patients need to know about the work that you're doing. And, and a lot of individuals, not only in Cleveland, but across the country, are going to see your profile and, and hear what you have to say um, in terms of the work that you do and Again, we're talking about women's health in general, but you you, you were talking about, um, and I wasn't aware that endometrial cancer was one of the most uh, common um, gynecological cancers. I was thinking maybe ovarian or, um, but yeah, that, that's very important that women know, know that. But also you pointed out that most women can undergo minimally invasive surgery and be cured. Um, but, but I suspect a lot of it has to do with being diagnosed in earlier stages, uh, that that's very important. And you you highlighted that I, I think you said the the biggest or one of the uh, earliest signs is um, uh, abnormal um, bleeding, uh, mm -hmm. vaginal bleeding. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about um, your overall work at Metro Health? Uh, you know, w w first of all, what is what is a um, gyno you know gyne oncologist, uh, and, and you know what type of training do you have? Right. I have a hard time even pronouncing it, you know. I know. And I actually <laughs> didn't even know that this was a career um, yes. probably until I was a third year medical student doing my rotations. Um, so uh, we are cancer specialists who focus yeah, mommy, on... Yeah, you're on mute. I'm on mute? You're oh, on no, I can... mute. No, I can hear her. Yeah, I can hear her. Yeah, we okay. Can hear her. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we are doctors that, that focus on female cancers, cancers of the genital tract. So we do not take care of 
breast cancer for the most part. Um, I always say belly button down. Um, our background training is in OBGYN. So we go through a four-year OBGYN residency, and then we do three years of fellowship. Um, and during that fellowship, we specialize in learning how to do the complex surgeries, um, as well as learning how to give chemotherapy. There is no other specialist that does what we do because there isn't any other surgeon that also gives their patients chemotherapy. So it really is continuity of care. And I think that's what makes our relationship with our patients so special. Yeah, that, that's intense training to be able to administer the chemotherapy. You know, I'm a urologist. Um, I treat patients with prostate cancer, kidney cancer, bladder cancer, and other, other types of, uh, you know, male genital urinary cancers. Uh, but when somebody has advanced disease and needs chemotherapy, we actually refer them to the oncologist. We don't actually administer the chemotherapy ourselves. So you know, that, that is extensive training, um, you know, that you have to go through. Um, but also a lot of times I, I do know that, um, gynecologists also, um, function also as primary care providers in, in a sense, uh, for the women that they serve. So, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're advising women, not only on their treatment of their cancers, but their overall health and, and general medical conditions, um, you know, it says you you become the everything doctor, you know, to, to these patients. Yes, um, better or worse sometimes. Yes, yes. Me. <laughs> and, and I thought it was very important for you and Alexandria Johnson Boone to be on the, on the broadcast together because you two need to know each other. <laughs> yeah, you, I, you, I, as I was learning about her, I was thinking I need to be friends with this woman. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can't hear Oh, she's having a, so I think Russell's going to bring you back in. Um, yeah, she's going to bring Dr. Uh, Alexandra Boone back in and then readmit her. I guess she's having some technical difficulties. But, you know, one thing I learned by conducting the Minority Men's Health Fair and, and engaging in a lot of community outreach that I've been doing over the years is it, it really takes uh, developing a, a partnership and establishing uh, trusting relationships with the community. And people like Alexandria Johnson Boone or, or individuals who can actually um, make that happen. Um, it, it's one thing for me wearing a white coat or being a physician to try to attempt to tell the community or encourage the community to go get a health screen, especially when you talk about men, uh, you know, come get your prostate exam. You know, yep. that's very difficult to do. But when an influencer like Alexandria Boone um, is out there and, and partnering with us and, and it makes all the difference in the world. She mentioned in her video interview, George Frazier, he's been a mentor of mine and an influencer. Um, so um, I guess uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring her back to the platform. She's having some technical difficulties. Um, but now how, how long have you been practicing at, at Metro? Um, I have been practicing at Metro since 2016. Okay. I've, been a, I've been an attending physician since 2010. Um, it's a long road. It's a long road to hoe, as you know, doing what you do. Um, yeah. it takes a while to earn our wings. Oh, very much so. So you do this. So you see patients both in the office and then you operate also. Um, what, what's the mix there? How, how, how many days are you generally like in the operating room? Would you, would you say? So most GYN oncologists, um, who are in academic medicine, which is what we would consider Metro, um, have probably, you know, one, two, three days a week in the operating room, 
probably two days seeing patients and then a day to do their work, which may mm -hmm. entail doing research. We participate in clinical trials um, and just doing the, the administrative icky stuff that most of us don't like to do. But mm -hmm. the majority of the work I do is, is clinical care with patients. And so that icky stuff is like paperwork and, and the icky you know, stuff is like, the paper yeah, and the computer yeah. work, the stuff right, that right. we are very good at as physicians. Yeah. And, and that actually is very time consuming pre-authorizations for surgery, for CAT scans, for medications, things like that. You know, I've always said there's a way to hopefully simplify that. I, th I think we as physicians need to do more work with, with the policymakers to try to, you know, streamline some of this, uh, you know, paperwork and, and, things that actually take us away from being, you know, in front of the patients. Um, so what other types of, you, we, we talked about, you know, uh, endometrial cancer, uterine cancer. What are some of the other cancers uh, that you treat or that, that women should be aware of that they need to be screened for? So, so endometrial is definitely the most common um, gynecologic cancer. Um, somewhere over 45,000 women a year in the United States are going to be diagnosed um, with that. Ovarian cancer is the next common thing we see. Ovarian cancer actually, though, is rare in the grand scheme of things in that a woman um, has a lifetime risk of 1% of developing ovarian cancer. There are certain risk factors that may raise that risk. Some of the more rare cancers, thankfully, that we take care of are cervical cancer. I wish cervical cancer didn't exist anymore. Um, you know, We were hoping that with the advent of the HPV vaccines with the advent of screening and pap smears, we could rid this country of cervical cancer. And unfortunately, it's just not happening, um, not happening because of access to care, um, because of poor health literacy, because the word is just not out there. Um, so especially at Metro Health, I do see higher rates um, of cervical cancer than I had seen elsewhere. Um, and uh, cancers of the vulva, which is the external part of the female genitals, as well as the vagina, um, are thankfully even more rare. Hmm. So when should a woman start getting screened for cervical cancer, for endometrial cancer? So, I mean, when, when should these screenings start? So unfortunately, the only thing we can really screen for is cervical cancer, because hmm. when we talk about what a screening is, we need a really cheap test that is really easily reproducible across many different offices and providers, and that by intervening, there is something that we can do to prevent cancer. So it's actually finding something that's precancerous, right? Mm -hmm. So the guidelines are always evolving about cervical cancer, but right now we're saying age 21 um, is when we should start screening. We don't want to screen women any younger than that because it just means that we start intervening when they're teenagers. And we know for a fact that many girls are going to get rid of the HPV and HPV is human papillomavirus. It's the virus that causes cervical cancer. Many teenagers and young women are going to be able to clear that virus and not have it for the rest of their lives. Okay. Unfortunately, we can't screen for other cancers. So ovarian cancer is routinely called the sleeping lion because unfortunately by, a t by the time a woman comes to medical attention, the cancer is usually in its advanced stages because while there are symptoms, symptoms like bloating, feeling full when you eat, your pants not fitting because your belly is getting so big, being tired, um, it's symptoms that women tend to ignore 
or they just brush off and say it's because I'm in menopause, it's because I'm 57. But we know those are symptoms of the cancer. But unfortunately, even if a woman were to recognize those symptoms and come to medical attention, the cancer is in its advanced stages. 75% of women who present with ovarian cancer are going to present with advanced stage cancer. So we are working on, this is what people are fast and furiously trying to work on, is to work on how to detect ovarian cancer earlier, because unfortunately, it is rather deadly. Okay, yeah, thank you. So Alex, can, are you able to hear us now, Alexandria? Oh, good. So yes, quick question. So Alexandria, I'm sure, um, you know, working in the Women of Color <laughs> Foundation and, and the work that you've been doing out in the community, um, what do you say to women of color or any, any women who are reluctant to go to the doctor and, and get screened? It, it, it actually does. It happens in men all the time, but it, it does actually still happen in women. Yeah. Well, um, Dr. Resnick, I went through menopause when I was 46 years old. I was so glad to get it out of the way, but I have regular breast exams, pap smears that because you know, all the commercials they have on TV about the human papilloma virus and how it can impact young women and men. So um, I think that anybody that I know knows about being screened because you just never know. And unfortunately, cancer run in my family as well as diabetes. So I, um, I take extra care in making sure that I have all of my tests and exams and my physical every year. Yeah, that's very important. Um, is there an age at which a woman can stop screening for cervical cancer? Is there um, like a cutoff? It, it depends. Um, if a woman if a woman undergoes a hysterectomy for reasons like bleeding or fibroids, we can actually stop screening her at that point. Um, and as women do age, if they haven't had a history of an abnormal Pap smear or precancerous cells, mm -hmm. we can forego that. But that's usually a good conversation between between the woman and her doctor. And I, I think, Alexandria, you bring up a good point. Um, it sounds like you are very in tune with the healthcare system and, and you obviously have a physician that you really um, have a great relationship with. And it really is about developing those relationships and you know, patients developing trust within the healthcare system, um, trust with um, the physician that that is taking care of them and trust that their voice is going to be heard. And that's what I think is going to keep our patients coming back for screening. Yeah. It is all about trust. And there are various reasons why, you know, people of color, communities of color have, um, and not everybody, obviously, but there's a certain amount of distrust when it comes to a willingness to engage um, healthcare providers, healthcare institutions, and, and, Again, that just underscores, you know, even more why it's important that Alexandria Boone has, has agreed to to partner with us to as we, you know, embark on our inaugural uh, multicultural, you know, women's health fair and expo uh, at, at Metro Health. Uh, which gets me to my point, um, you, Dr. Resnick, you mentioned um, clinical trials. In order to discover, develop new um, therapeutics, chemotherapy, other other therapeutics, we need more men and women of color to enroll in clinical trials. And we do know that there's, because of distrust, there's, I, I think one of the most recent figures I heard of all clinical trials, only about 5% of participants are, are African-American. So 
um, which, un, you know, underrepresents our, our percentage population, you know, in the United States. But, but we do know that some of these disease states are, are more aggressive in, in certain minority populations. And so we desperately need uh, more individuals to agree to enroll in clinical trials. See, that, that this is where I, I think a partnership uh, between you, the work that you do, Dr. Resnick, in, in, in female cancers, and Alexandria Johnson Boone uh, would go a long way to actually help educate women uh, of color about the importance in enrolling in clinical trials. Um, very, very important, I, I think. Uh, and again, we were talking about, um, you know, how we wanted you to be on the same platform so um, we could help you establish a, a partnership, uh, you know, moving forward to, to advance a lot of this work and knowledge and awareness out in, into the community. I think that, um, you know, it'll be interesting because I'll meet with uh, pharmaceutical reps who are coming to talk about the trials and, and their drug, and we'll look through the data. And once we get down to race and ethnicity in the patient population, the entire thing is moot for my patient population at Metro. And I'll bring that up. I'll say, well, can you tell me how many of these women were African-American? And, and sometimes they don't even have a breakdown. Sometimes it's two out of the 100 patients um, were African-American and the results then are not generalizable to our patients at Metro. These, this is not the population that I care for. And I recently got asked to um, be an advisor for, for one of these pharmaceutical companies because they know that I'm passionate about this and about how we increase enrollment in clinical trials. And, and I feel like for a lot of people out there, especially in leadership, um, they think it's a magic bullet, right? You guys must not be working hard enough at this if you're not getting these women to enroll. And, and it's, it goes well beyond that, um, Charles, mm. as you know, yeah. there is, um, we do not have a, a good history in this country. Um, it's, it's obviously something that needs to be talked about, right? And it has to be reckoned with. Um, physicians have to reckon with it. We have to say, we know that this is what has happened in the past. And this is how we are trying to, to assure that this is never going to happen again. Yes, um, and, and I think that, again, it just comes down to meeting patients where they are, developing that rapport. Um, and it's, it's just so important. Now, I wanted to highlight for the audience some of the work and, and discussions you and I had, have had ongoing. Uh, you know, I haven't been at Metro quite yet, two years, but uh, you and I immediately clicked because you you or like-minded in, in the sense that you want to address health inequities, health disparities in, in these underrepresented minority populations uh, who suffer disproportionately. And part of the solution, you know, we talked about promoting access, uh, more preventative health screenings, early detection, but part of it is also developing future leaders in, in medicine, surgery and medicine, uh, who, who are desirous of taking leading roles uh, um, to, discover, to, to find more uh, innovative ways to address health disparities, to uh, be more uh, effective um, in engaging communities of color. And, and one thing that you and I spoke about that you're, you're leading this initiative is to develop a, a fellowship, if you will, a, a focused uh, a concentration for your trainees, um, post-medical school graduates who are, are uh, going into OBGYN. Uh, so they will have dedicated time not only to learn the art of your surgery, you know, um, on oncologic surgery, cancer surgery, but also become leaders in, in this space, in this field. And that requires 
uh, developing their leadership with respect to being able to engage the community, to be able to work with the community, to become part of the community. And one very special person that they're going to have to get to know is, is Alexandria uh, Johnson Boone, because she is the community. And, and again, you know, we, we've spoken about this. Um, we're, we're continuing to work on this. Um, but as far as I know, Metro Health will be the first um, gynecologic oncology program that has such a, a, a specialized training program. So um, again, Alexandria Boone, we're volunteering you, um, you know, without you knowing, but uh, now you know. So you're, we're going to engage you in so many different ways uh, I, moving forward. I, so <laughs> I think one of the things that Alexandria would be wonderful for is, you know, obviously we need to recruit um, high caliber African-American physicians residents and physicians to Cleveland. Um, specifically, I am focused on how we recruit physicians to my own department, OBGYN, but obviously to, to departments throughout Metro Health. And this is an initiative we started working on last year. You know, there is data that shows that patients have better outcomes. And again, it's not every study. So we don't want everybody thinking that because an, an African-American woman is having care from a Caucasian doctor that that her outcomes are going to be worse because that's not it. Um, where the data was most borne out was actually men, right, Charles? Yes. African-American men, when they were cared for by African-American male physicians, they, they did have better outcomes. It, um, so that being said, we want our patients to see physicians that look like them. That's what it all really comes down to, right? Um, we have to make Cleveland a pull for these physicians. We in Cleveland, we're competing with Atlanta and LA and the East Coast. And we are competing with so many cities um, that are on the map, right? As far as black culture and food and people and music. Um, and we really have to start to get ourselves on the map so that we can be a draw. Um, I mean, I'm a lifer here in Cleveland, hmm. but I, you know, when you're comparing Cleveland to Atlanta, I mean, I think we know what's going to happen, right? So I think that's one of the things that's going to be most important is how do we pull in um, these these medical professionals? So real quick, you you mentioned a key word, music, and that's that that's segue. One, <laughs> that, that's a great segue because we are called music and medicine. We want to incorporate some entertainment in with this serious uh, conversation. So. I, as I understand, um, Russell actually has a musical selection that uh, that uh, you like here. I'm not sure what it is, but um, if we can, if we can go to that and play that, I'd be interested and in see what it is. Nothing like an uplifting, uplifting song. <laughs> it's been seven hours and fifteen. I've heard this. Yep. Your love I go out every night and sleep all day. You took your love away. Since you've been gone, See whomever I choose 
Yeah, I like that song. I've always liked that song. I've, I've seen that video before. I don't know where that's set, set in. It looks like maybe Central Park. I'm not sure where that is. She's Irish. I don't okay. know. Maybe that was Ireland. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But you know, since we're we're talking about women, women's health, I I, I had to I have to show the audience that that's a picture of my mother. Uh, that's her high school graduation picture. Um, August the fifteenth, she would have been ninety nine years old. Um, so I couldn't resist showing that 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 picture. Um, but no, I wanted to thank both of you for being on the broadcast. I, I think. Um, uh, we, we've talked about some very important topics, um, women's health. Um, you've highlighted a lot of the work that you do, Dr. Resnick. Um, we're very appreciative of what you do, Alexandria uh, Johnson Boone, out in the community, um, to raise awareness about so many different aspects that are important to, to the lives of women. Uh, not only not only healthcare, but resiliency and employment, empowerment. And you've been doing that your entire career, and there, you're showing no signs of slowing down. Um, I show signs of slowing down. Uh, I'll say that, you know, but I don't know how you continue to do it. But, um, you know, Dr. Resnick, um, you have many more decades uh, in front of you to do your work. Uh, so, but uh, with that in mind, um, actually, I wanted to play one of my favorite uh, music selections as we close out the show. Um, Russell, uh, if you can show that graphic um, about the Metro Women's event uh, real quick. So just in closing, again, we hope everybody uh, will tune uh, in um, and attend the 2003. Again, this is our inaugural Multicultural Women's Health Fair and Empowerment Expo. Uh, we're doing this in collaboration with the RA Vernon Family Foundation. Again, Saturday, September the 30th, uh, noon to 4.30. Actually, we're opening the doors, I believe, at 11 o'clock. Free health screenings uh, throughout this entire event. We have a number of breakout sessions. Alex, you're going to be there as one of the speakers, too. I, I, I uh, recognize uh, you can register online, you can call, or you can just show up at the day of the event. So, Dr. Resnick, uh, Alexandria, thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope the audience will tune in for another exciting rendition of music and medicine. Um, so stay tuned, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Formed by Mr. David Gates. The Goodbye Girl, Richard Dreyfuss. Love that movie. Yep. <laughs> All your life you've waited for love to come and stay. And now that I have found you, you must now slip away. The 70s was the best era for music. But darling, you must trust them just once more. Cause baby, goodbye doesn't mean forever. Let me tell you, goodbye doesn't mean we'll never be together again. If you wake up and I'm not there, I won't be long.
instead Giving in But I can wait forever For helping you to see That I was meant for you And you for me Thank you for joining us, Russell, and thanks for, for uh, Russell, thanks for, for producing. <laughs>